Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people. And you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only, not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, November 16th, the Sadistic Track Coach Edition. I'm Gabriel Roth, an editor at Slate and the father of Eliza, age six, and Leo, who is three. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, a journalist and podcaster in New Hampshire, and I am mom to Henry, who is 16, Teddy, who is 14, and a stepdaughter, Lily, who is 17. And I'm Carvel Wallace, a writer and podcaster uh, in Oakland, California, and I'm father to Georgia, who is 12, and Ezra, who is 14. Today on our show, we have a question from a listener who is horribly offended by her in-law's parenting, uh, and another who is dealing with a really bad high school coach. Plus, as always, we'll have triumphs, we'll have fails, we'll have recommendations, and on Slate Plus, Rebecca Lavoy will give us an update on what happened to the racist and misogynistic Instagram account started by some teenagers at her kid's high school. First up, triumphs and fails. Rebecca, do you have a triumph or alternately, do you have a fail? Which of the two is it? I've got a triumph, Gabe. Um, I feel like on this show, I'll be straight. I feel like I shit on Teddy's academic stuff a lot on this show. I talk about his ADHD. I talk about the fact that he doesn't do his homework. I talk about the fact that it's impossible to get him to make the connections between not doing your homework and then not doing well in school. I've talked about the fact that he's like not in any honors classes this year. I want to like completely change that because I am uh, so proud of him. We went to his dad and I went to his parent teacher conferences last week. And no, I am not going to focus his on the on the three classes in which he got 70s on his report card because it's easy to do. I feel like it's a habit that I do. I think a lot about the thing has lost potential and, you know, all the issues and so forth. I am instead going to focus on the fact that, yes, he has 100s in all three of his music classes. He has an 85 
five in science, and he has right now a 92 in his English class. And his English teacher told me that he is the strongest writer of any freshman student he has ever taught. And I sat there in that parent-teacher conference, and I leaned forward, and I started to cry a little. And I was like, tell me more. Please, just tell me more. (laughs) Because it just has not been part of the story of our at-home experience with Teddy's academics this year. You know, he's now going to um, a tutor to help him with his homework two nights a week. He's taking a new medication for his ADHD. I really think his teachers all remarked that he seems to be sort of turning a little bit of a corner. And I've so been focused on that that I have completely missed this area in which he is just blossoming. He has this wonderful teacher and he has this huge amount of talent. He's been doing all of the required work. The, ta- the class is being taught so to his learning style that it's giving him an opportunity to love learning. And he's crushing it. And I read one of his papers on a Kurt Vonnegut short story while we were sitting there. And I can, in fact, tell you that he seems to be a very talented ninth grade writer. So I'm extremely proud. It's a little bit of a fail because I missed it (laughs) the whole time it was happening. But it feels like a huge triumph. So that is my triumph for this week. That's awesome. I love it. Well done. Carvel? I am going to call this a fail. I... um... I have a similar situation with our beloved Ezra, who he definitely feels like that my entire um, relationship with him is is like just an, an, um, an insistent picking at his what I consider his failures, which he expressed actually as recently as this morning in passing. And that really that's something that I really have to work on because I have the same problem as you were as Rebecca, where I'm like. I just see all this potential and you're so smart and you're so talented, but you won't do the work. And if you just did, blah, 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 you know, it's like, I don't know. You have to, at a certain point, kind of throw your hands up in the air. Otherwise, it gets overwhelming for him. And But we had this experience the other, the other morning where I was picking them up to go to school and there was some traffic situation. So I was like maybe four minutes late and everything in the morning is clockwork timed it's like oceans 11 in the morning everything's got to be precise you know you got to get down stairs at 801 and you have to get to the end of the block by 803 and if you're not then you know you never know so i admittedly was way off so at at eight o'clock i was still on the freeway off ramp so i texted listen guys i'm running late please be outside you know we we can still pull this off if you're already on the on the porch by the time i get there so i did that i get there no one's on the porch <laughs> so i text them again and i'm like we're, we're two minutes behind schedule guys synchronize your watches so get in the car and um ezra gets in and i don't remember how the conversation started but i started trying to he was like we i was like why weren't you guys downstairs blah 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 he was like well we were going to go downstairs but you weren't here so and i was like but that's not my fault. Like you have to, you know, I, I told you I was going to be late. I'm, I've been on time every morning, just this one morning I was late. And he was like, but it's, you know, like you won't take responsibility for the fact that you're, you're the reason why we're late this morning. It's not my fault dad. and we fought over that. And then he got like, when, I mean, this ride to his school is like six minutes. So it's not a long thing really. And he got out of the car and was like, I guess I'm going to have a terrible day anyway. And he left and I just felt so bad. I was like, how, how could I have handled that so badly? Like, I just don't quite know how to handle having a teenage boy sometimes, because to me, it seems so simple. It's like, Hey, take responsibility for the part that's yours. I'll take responsibility for the part that's mine. 
you know, you'll say in, in an ideal world, he'll say, hey, I'm sorry that I like took a while to get downstairs, but, you know, hopefully we can make it. Instead, he's just like, well, this is your fault because you were late and you're blaming it on me and you're being terrible right now. And then I get defensive. And it's just like I feel like a teenager sometimes when I argue with him. And that's such a defeating feeling. And as a parent, I'm tr- I like 98 percent of the time I think I do better. But sometimes I don't. And it's hard. And it matters to me that he feels like I see him as someone who's always messing up because I love him so much. and I think he's so great. And I just need to do a better job at like letting him know that all the time, not just sometimes. Yeah. So, you know, parenting a teenager. Yep. It's tough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's all there is to it. <laughs> well, when you, said, when you said about feeling like a teenager when you're arguing with him, it's happened with me. It's definitely happened with me with Teddy around some of the same kind of stuff. And it is it it feels really bad and defeatist and yeah. you know you just you, you just know it's like this is exactly the opposite of what i should do but i cannot stop which is exactly yeah. how they're feeling you which know exactly it's how, how they're, they're feeling. feeling yeah but like but like you're supposed to be the grown up like i mean i remember the first youth job i ever had way back in like when i first got out of college one of the first teachers i trained under was like if you find yourself arguing with a student you've already lost the argument and I, you know and that was advice i got when i was like 20 20, and I still am struggling with that, you know, 23 years later. Isn't there also – I mean, I neither of my kids are teenagers yet, so I haven't been through this from, from that perspective. But I do remember being a teenager and having a father and I remember that like if there wasn't a pretext for an argument, if there hadn't been a single opportunity for me to get into a fight with my dad while I was 14, I would have definitely had to make some up. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Yeah. yeah, this is like the if they were no God, it would be necessary for us to invent one quote. This is what Henry's going through with his dad right now, too. I mean, he's coming over and talking about ways that his dad is frustrating him. And when he describes it, it's like, you know, he's like, I, I, I come home from, you know, my, um, you know, I came home and I show my dad my report card. And he's like, well, son, I'm so proud of you. And he's like, and it's so annoying. I'm like, yeah, your dad sounds like a real monster. He sounds like a monster. <laughs> like, you can't not do it. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, but you just, you, you want, as ideally, in the, in the ideal parenting world, the one where you're floating on clouds and handling everything well, you would like the, all the arguing to come from one side. You just you don't want to get baited. You don't want to take the bait. That's the thing is like I, I took the bait, and you know I have my own. Then that that's what I mean when I say I feel like a teenager because now I'm like, oh, I'm so frustrated with you. Like why won't you just do what I say? Like you know I that's what I sound like. <laughs> you know what I mean? And two teenagers, it's like and poor George is sitting in the car like these guys are fucking idiots. Like you know. And then when she when he got out of the car, I asked her like, listen, what do you think I should do differently? Like you, you know us. Give me some advice. She was like. I don't know. It's raising a teenager's heart. And then she just went back to her phone game. And I was like, thanks. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Um, I had I had a I had a triumph. I had a sweet triumph, actually. It was awesome. Um, my wife and Eliza went out of town for the weekend. They went to visit um, my wife's sister and some friends who live in New Haven. And while they were out of town, uh, it was me and Leo for like two solid days. And, and you know, I don't usually have like 48 solid hours of being alone with a three-year-old. 
and I was like a little worried about it, but I thought like, no, this will be fun. He's at a, he's at a point where like the logistics are not that difficult and the tantrums aren't that bad and I can usually see them coming. Uh, and we had a great time. We went to the Statue of Liberty. We went uh, with my brother and the cousins to the Statue of Liberty and we rode on a ferry boat and he was excited to see it because he reads a book about it, but he didn't quite realize how big the Statue of Liberty is. So we got there and he looked up at it and he was like, she's so big. <laughs> it's a really good moment. <laughs> and I got him a little keychain with the, the first letter of his name and the Statue of Liberty and he wears it on his backpack and he likes to look at it all the time. And I didn't like forget anything. I like brought the extra pants because he's wearing underpants now and I brought the extra underpants in case he has an accident and I brought enough snacks and I just like I didn't fuck anything up during those whole 48 <laughs> hours <laughs> and I feel so fucking good about it. I swear to God. Congratulations. Now you know what it feels like to be a woman. No, <laughs> I don't because I only did it for 48 hours. <laughs> And then I get to talk about it as a triumph on a podcast. So I it's still wonderful. I still have no idea what it's Excellent. like to be a woman. Good job. You were Reaganing. <laughs> yep. <laughs> You're not making a single mistake. <laughs> Ooh, That's boy. awesome. Solid, yeah. solid male triumph right there. Yeah. Good job. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right. Um, before we move on, let's do the business. If you have a question that you would like the three of us to tackle on the air, you can leave us a message on our phone number, which is 424-255-7833. Or you can email the text of that question to momanddad at slate.com. Uh, I would like now to tell you about another great Slate podcast. The show is called Working, and it's hosted by Jacob Brogan. It's the podcast about what people do all day, from barbers to cartoonists to White House staffers to Stephen Colbert. If you are curious about what other people's jobs are like on the day-by-day, -day, uh, Working is the show for you. This season launches on Sunday, November 19th. It's about people who work in the world of LGBTQ art, health, business, and more. The first episode features the fabulous New York drag queen and Slate contributor, Ms. Cracker. What does she do at her job all day? Our producer, Benjamin Frisch, who also produces Working, would like you to know that that is one of the best interviews he has ever taped. It's hilarious. It's candid. You should check it out. Slate.com slash working or search for Slate's Working wherever you get your podcasts. On Slate Plus today, Rebecca Lavoie will give us an update on a hot topic from a couple weeks ago when... Some teenagers from her small town started a racist and misogynistic Instagram account. What happened when she made that account public? To hear that segment and to get ad-free versions of this and our other Slate podcasts, go to slate.com slash momanddadplus. And a very special announcement. This week on the Slate Plus Facebook group, the three of us will be answering all of your questions on Monday, November the 20th. Monday, November the 20th, you can ask us anything. Ask us about the show. Ask us about our parenting. Ask us about our kids. Ask us about our other jobs and lives. We will endeavor to respond to all your questions Monday, November 20th, this coming Monday. 
on the Slate Plus Facebook group. If you're a Slate Plus member and you haven't yet joined, you should join right away. Facebook.com slash groups slash Slate Plus. If you are not yet a Slate Plus member, now is the time to sign up so that you can join that private group and have the chance to hit us up with your questions about anything you would like to know. Uh, you can do that by going to slate.com slash mom and dad plus just $35 for your first year. You also, of course, get the extended ad free versions of this and all your other favorite slate podcasts. Uh, so if you're a member, join us on the slate plus Facebook group on Monday. And if you're not a member, become a member and then go back to the previous step. Okay. Back to the show. We got this question over email. We cut that letter down a little bit. It's being read to you by Slate IT admin Shasha Leonard. Dear Mom and Dad, since I gave birth almost 18 months ago, I've had a ton of questions for you. My sister-in-law has a six-year-old and a two-year-old, both girls. My husband and his brother are very different, and so as families, we're different as well. We're all caricatures, actually. My husband and I are both college-educated, underpaid, in shape, if a bit neurotic, about health. We drink wheatgrass spend a ton of money to live on the outskirts of a metropolitan city. My in-laws are not college-educated, plump but fun, own much bigger everything, bought entirely on credit, and are really into consuming things. My sister-in-law already had her older daughter Tiffany's ear pierced when she was three. They've been getting mommy and daughter manicures for years. While driving in the car, Tiffany also plays a game with her mother, where they name off all their favorite brand names of frozen beverages sold at major chain fast food places while singing along to Baby Got Back by Sir Mix-a-Lot. The family mentioned that at her seventh birthday, she's going to have a beauty therapy blowout, where she'll invite four friends to be pampered. They'll have hair, makeup, and manicures done, then ride around the city in a limo singing karaoke. Of course, there are other, bigger issues here. I think that there's a way in which she's becoming a teenager before she's even a preteen. She is overweight, and I feel that this much emphasis on how she looks is setting her up to seek attention on that basis in about two years' time, when she'll probably have a cell phone and social media, too. She's tall for her age. Given her presentation and hobbies, I think older kids, especially boys, might gravitate to her in a not-positive way. So the question is, should my husband say something? I doubt it will make a difference and would only insult them. Also, would you let your daughters go on such an event? Because we'll most certainly get invited in future as the girls get older. Are we just not fun enough to appreciate this kind of thing? Thanks, the Fraser Crane family pondering the Kardashians. I, I find this letter obnoxious. I'm just going to be 100% clear about that. I, I don't, I mean, I think that... Uh, I, I understand the logical argument for every point that is made that we're that concerned about consumerism and concerned about like these are all things that I relate to and things that I was really worried about when my kids were growing up and still remain worried about. However, I think the main problem with this uh, letter is that it, I mean, the question is, should my husband say anything? And then the very next sentence is it probably won't make a difference. So except to cause offense. So there's your answer. I mean, if you like, what is the purpose of saying something? Is it just to assert your values? Just to like say, I have these values. These are my values. This is what I believe in. This is, I think kids should eat this and they shouldn't eat that. And they should talk about this and they shouldn't consume that. If, if that's your goal, you're free to do that. I think that that's obnoxious. I mean, I, I think that people make 
different choices parenting, there are many parenting paths that lead to good human beings. And I know that when, I mean, we grew up in hyper, we grew up, our kids grew up and we did alongside them in hyper judgmental, hyper controlling Berkeley Bay Area home birth community. People were intense about the oh you give your kid that and say, oh, there's so many grams of sugar but like that was the whole thing and we participated in that too as much as we possibly could i was always a little more skeptical joe was probably more both feet in for the first little while and then she started to be like wait a second these are just obnoxious bullshit people who just like telling everyone else what to do and there are so many paths to being a good person that you don't have to live by this particular way the choices you make about your kid are great go for them do them. But don't judge other people's choices in this way. And the, and the other thing that I was thinking about this is that, um, you know, you can't – when it comes to other people's kids who are in your community and family, you can help parent other people's kids by adding more stuff to their life, more information, by talking with them. But you can't change other people's parenting. And it's important to draw that distinction. So if you have this niece who is involved in this world, this is a great opportunity for her to um, understand her world that she's in and also understand your world and to use that as her way of understanding the world as a whole. That's what kids do. They have the one aunt who's crazy, super hippie. We actually have that in our family. My Joe has a cousin who's like out there, like lives in the woods and everything, like harvests the things and makes the tinctures. And my kids go visit her <laughs> And they come with like candy bars and hot Cheetos and iPhone games open and they spend a weekend there and they like chasing turkeys around and doing and playing like, you know, country dress up for a while and they come back to their lives and it just folds into the way they understand the world. There's no sense that we have to do what they say or they have to do what we say. The kids are putting it all together. So I would I would encourage you if you want to keep your uh, this is your family and these are your kids cousins and intimate partner friends intimate friends in the family sense and it's important to keep that together and this kind of judgmentalness that i hear in this letter is a real threat to that that's a way bigger threat than this kid being quote unquote overweight and being materialist and you know the fraser cranes were a fictional family and i just <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean and uh so I, I i would take your whole thing down a notch and just try and enjoy the fact that you have family who wants to involve your kid and wants to involve you in their lives let them do their thing you do your thing this is a way smaller problem than i think you think it is y yeah i mean I, the whole time i was listening to that letter all i could think of is uh isn't this niece so lucky to have an aunt who is judging everything about her life and her mother's <laughs> life and everything about their lives together. I mean, isn't she so, so lucky, right? You know, I agree with everything that you said, Carvel. And I think that the letter writer is trying to be a little bit self-deprecating here, which kind of makes it worse because it tells me that, you know, you're really bright. And as you point out, you're college educated uh, you also went to the uh, length to point out that your in-laws are not college educated, which tells me that there's um, an undertone of classism here, too, mm -hmm. which makes me really uncomfortable. Mm. Um, you know, there are plenty of people who are college educated who also live lives 100 percent on credit cards and debt and get their kids bouncy houses for birthday parties and do manicures and pedicures. And there are plenty of people who are not college educated who love wheatgrass. Um, so that was just a framing device at the beginning of the email that 
I just it, it it set my teeth on edge a little bit and maybe made me judge it a little bit more harshly throughout. I certainly know what it's like when you see people who are close to you and your family or good friends who are making choices you wouldn't make. But it does make your kids' lives so much richer to experience different kinds of families who make different kinds of choices. And I think your kid is really missing out if, you know, she's not able to go to the manicure, pedicure, hair party. Maybe she'll hate it. Maybe she'll be like, that was weird. But she'll have a different kind of experience with different kind of people. And guess what? You're also related to those people. So that's actually like an, an enriching thing. And it's something that I think you should look at as an opportunity uh, rather than an opportunity for you to feel better about yourself. Um, and and that, that really does come across here. And it really, it, it really bothers me. And I think that the letter writer here, I think I think you're very, very well intentioned. I do. But one exercise you might just want to try is, you know, reading your letter out loud to yourself and imagining that someone is saying it about you and your wheatgrass and your, uh, you know, backpacking through Europe and saying, you know, I would never subject my kids to that. Like no kid actually likes wheatgrass. Right. Uh, just imagine. Imagine if it were coming in the other direction. Um yeah, it's I'm 100 percent with Carvel on everything, except for the, the dose of classism that I wanted to, to throw in there as being problematic as well. The letter writer gave birth almost 18 months ago. So I, I assume that was the first kid. So um, this is someone who's still relatively new to parenting. You guys have been doing this for, for 16, 17 years. I've been doing it only for seven. Um, but I do remember that the first year or two. There is a very strong feeling that you could fuck this up very easily. <laughs> that that every everywhere you look, there is something wrong. There's something that you could be doing that's wrong or something that some other parent might be doing that's wrong. And it is your full-time job to protect your child from all of this stuff that is wrong and that is bad and that we don't want to get at our perfect, precious, wonderful child. And it's easy to, from the, you know, from seven years down the road, it, it, it's easy to sort of make fun of that. But the fact is, there are lots of dangerous things out there. You do have to do a fair amount of work to protect your kid from actually genuinely dangerous things. And then you also have to do a fair amount of ongoing work to, like, help your kid do all of the kid stuff. Like, it's easy to tell other people to relax, but you can never relax all the way, right? Part of being a parent is worrying and trying to make sure that your kid is eating the right things, doing the right things, cleaning up properly, doing whatever we need to do to to keep it together. And it's easy for that to, that worry, that that sort of ambient, uh, omnipresent worry to, to metastasize, to grow. And to like you see somebody else who is doing things in a way that, you know, it's not the way you would do it. And you probably have good reasons for not doing that way. And so then we got to keep that out. We got to keep our bubble closed and we got to keep all that stuff out. The doing the makeup and the hair for a three-year-old or a seven-year-old or, or, or whatever it is. And, the you know, driving around and, and singing about brand names of soda that they sell at McDonald's and singing Baby Got Back. 
That sounds like a really fun thing to do with a kid to me. But I can understand that if you are very conscious of the number of commercial messages that bombard our children at every moment in this late capitalist debacle that we've decided to call a society, you might see that. And if you had an 18-month-old baby who you're trying to protect, you might get very uptight about that and, and say, no, it's my job to keep all this stuff out. That's the work I'm doing. And you guys, my in-laws, are fucking up all of this really important work that I'm doing to protect my baby. <laughs> I can see just how you could get into that frame of mind. Uh, and, you know, from seven years down the road, I just want to say you can't. You cannot protect your baby. Your baby is going to see the commercials. Your baby is going to drink the soda. Your baby is going to sing the novelty rap. Uh, your baby hopefully is going to grow up into a seven-year-old who maybe will wind up enjoying like going and getting a manicure or getting their hair done or something like that. And your baby is still hopefully going to grow up to be a wonderful person. And learning to tolerate that and, and live with those uh, ambiguities and, and, and the imperfections of the world and of your kid's experience uh, is, is your job now in the second year of your kid's life. That's basically what I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's, I'm glad you said that because it, it helps me actually zero in on the, the real emotional core of this situation that I fully relate to. And I, maybe I didn't express that enough the first time. I fully relate to this. There is that feeling at the beginning that you're single-handedly responsible for everything that needs to happen in your kid's life and, most importantly, for what needs to be kept out. We've all met parents whose stance on the world is to keep the world out of their kid's life. And there is a certain immediate logic to that, given the way the world is. I get that. The problem is, when we prioritize that over kindness towards other people, my experience has been that we create the exact opposite effect. We actually mm -hmm. become the terrible thing that we're trying to keep out. And, um, and so in this case, you have family members who are loving and want to include your kid in playful things. And uh, you might not like the things and I get you don't like the things. And that's when we sort of do, in our case, we would do a lot of, we felt like we were always adding stuff to the mix, but we couldn't take anything out of the world, right? We couldn't keep, I mean, what Gabe said is right. And this is the thing it took us, I mean, 18 months, yeah, it's early to know this. It takes a while to learn this, but like all this stuff, we swore our kids were never going to eat sugar. Like we were, our kids weren't going to eat sugar. Why would we do that? We know what sugar is. It's crack. It's crack for kids. Never. You know, and now it's like, I mean, you know, our kids weren't going to watch TV. They weren't going to have phone. They weren't going to play video games. Now they do all that. And they did all that before we were ready because not because we failed as parents or because we're bad parents, but because the 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 intense uh, sort of like intensity, judgmentalness, hatred, violence, separation from the world that we had to enact in order to hold this fortress was actually more damaging than the things we were afraid of. And we began to realize that, like, everything works together. We're, we are the people that we are, and we, we have to assume that our kids are going to find the world. The world's going to find them. And our job is simply to help them contextualize it. We had this thing when Georgia was seven. I'm going to end on this. Where she, her and her friends decided randomly they wanted to become cheerleaders. And the city of Berkeley has this, like, cheerleading program, like Parks and Rec cheerleading team. And we were like, the fuck is this? And Georgia just decided. <laughs> she was like, I want to be a cheerleader. Me and Ariana, we're going to be cheerleaders. That's our thing. And I, the hand-wringing, the hand-wringing that went on between me and Joe. 
So I posted it on Facebook. I was like, look, I mean, I, I basically wrote a letter like this one on Facebook. Like, we all know that cheerleading is terrible and blah, blah, blah. And like vapid girl. Like, I just had this whole fucking obnoxious thing. And I posted it on Facebook and everyone, everyone, I had a 300 comments. They were all like, if you don't get your head out of your ass and take your daughter to the fucking cheerleading <laughs> thing that she wants to go to. <laughs> and I was like, I got it. I hear you. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know? And we took her to the cheerleading thing. She did it for a session and a half and never mentioned it again. Never wanted to go back was done with it and that was the end of it so i you know i just think i think you i just think that when your desire to raise your kids well leads you into this level of judgmentalness then you're creating a bigger problem than the one you think you're solving that's what i think i have nothing to add to that well said okay uh hope that was helpful and not too insulting uh <laughs> moving on every day we rise challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. We have another letter. This one is from Jennifer, again being read by Shasha Leonard. My overall question is, when your child is in junior high, how do you decide to take a concern to the teacher or to the administration? My oldest is a seventh grader and newly in junior high. Our town is very small. The junior high has 105 total kids in seventh and eighth grade. The issue is with sports. We have some dad coaches who are not teachers. My seventh grader started his second sport with the same dad coach. In sixth grade track, this coach put my son in the eighth grade 1600 meter and then pointed and laughed at him as my son was lapped by boys two years older than him, 10 feet away from him at the finish line, and I saw and heard it myself. Now in seventh grade, this same dad coach is coaching basketball and in the first week belittling kids and then telling them not to take it personally. Our son begged to be allowed to quit the team, and we let him quit. So far, I haven't taken either of these issues to the teacher or to the administration because my child does not want me to speak up. What would you do? We are going to have five more years of these same parents and most activities in a tiny rural school. Jennifer. Rebecca, this one's for you. Oh, this is so for me. You just described my town. You know, my seventh and eighth grade combined, I think, in our town is something like 120, 130 kids as well. And uh, while we don't have, we do have parent coaches at the younger grades. You know, this problem also persists, I think, in high school when you have a um, a coach who is obnoxious. Uh, there is a tenured teacher at my son's middle and high school, their combined school, who is a head coach of uh, a lot of teams. And this is a very sports-oriented school. And so this guy, even though everyone knows he is crass and inappropriate, there's also this kind of like reverence for him because he does lead some of these sports programs that have been very successful. And I, um, I'll i tell you the way that I have handled it when my kids were younger and less able to kind of navigate their way around the social contracts of the school in a way. Uh, and by the way, good on you for letting your kid quit. That was the right decision. <laughs> do not do that BS thing that parents do where we say like, well, you said you wanted to, so now you've committed and now you have to do it because that is not worth it. That kind of learning, that kind of commitment is not worth it if you were being hurt. And it sounds like your son was being hurt. But one of the ways to um, get things out there is to 
really find out that you're not alone in uh, realizing that it's a shitty thing. Um, I would suggest connecting with some other parents and seeing if they've had a similar experience. And that way, when you do go talk to the administrator, the administrators, but I think you should, because this father is, I'm assuming, a volunteer or maybe being paid a few bucks to coach uh, these kids. These kids are still the responsibility of the school, despite the fact that, you know, a, a teacher, a paid staff member is not in charge of them. And they're being hurt. They're being harmed by this behavior. And if, say, it was punching instead of making fun of, say it was something a little more overtly abusive, physically abusive, you probably wouldn't hesitate to speak up. But it can be a minefield. It can feel incredibly lonely. No one wants to be the person who got the popular coach or the popular teacher in trouble or fired. It can feel a lot better when you know that other parents will have your back uh, when you do this. And if you're able to say to the administrator, I have this concern and I've talked to a lot of other parents and they also share my concern. It just it feels better when you walk in. And, yeah, I know your kid doesn't want you to to tell. Maybe you don't have to tell your kid. (laughs) That you told. I don't know the solution to that because that is the tricky part of this. I've navigated the situations myself also, and I, you know, think always about the time. Is this going to be hard on my kid when they go to school on Monday if I do this thing? Ultimately, though, we're not just talking about your kid. We're talking about a community of kids that are being harmed by a super douchebag who needs to be called out. And maybe trying to form a parental coalition around it will make you feel better and taking the step to do that. I mean, you took the step to write the letter to this podcast. Uh, It's basically the same thing. You're just sending it to someone who can actually do something about it. Yeah, it seems like um, the danger really is in if the letter writer like goes to the administration and and makes a big deal out of it and then is out on her own. And all of the other parents are like, why are you interfering with our proud culture of high school sports and and, uh, sadism or whatever? And getting together with other parents and making sure that you've established that what this dad is doing is outside of, as they say, community norms. I think that's what you guys have in your small towns is community norms. <laughs> um, and, and once you establish that he's on the on the nether side of the line, uh, then you can you can go and, and crusade against him without too much fear of reprisals is my understanding. But uh, if you are the one who's violating community norms by complaining about the the, we see here how how ignorant I am of small town life. Rebecca, am I getting this right? Um, I, we don't have any language around because sometimes the community norms are having like a dirtbag person. Who's right, just that's being what I'm saying. Sometimes that is the community norm, and you do need to gauge. That's what I'm saying. That and it does help. It does help to not be alone. I. I promise this letter writer, you are not alone. You are not the only person who feels this way. You're not. You're just not. And when you know you're not, it's much easier to take action. Yeah. I mean, I think I agree with Rebecca here that, I mean, it's, you have to, I mean, we have the situation too with Ezra. Actually, one of the things that he and I talked about this weekend, he went to a party and he wanted to download some of the stuff that went on at the party. And when you're 14, stuff happening at parties is like, stuff is happening at parties. And so he wanted to download that to me, but before he like started explaining what was happening, he gave me this disclaimer. He said, Dad, you cannot go to other parents with this. I'm like, why are you so worried I'm going to do that? He's like, I already have a reputation among my friends as a kid who talks too much to his parents. Mm. And <laughs> which I was like, good, that's what we like. But um, 
But then, you know, he's referring to this one time where something happened a long time ago that actually was way shady and outside the norm. And I did confront the parent about it. And the parent did not deal with it well. And it turned into a big fracas. And his best friend, who's still his best friend at the time, was like, why did you tell your dad? And I'm like, he had to tell his dad. And I get it. And so my Ezra still wants to tell me stuff, but he doesn't want me to go tell other parents. And so I have to promise him mostly that I'm going to do that. But I also have to say, but if someone is like genuinely in danger or is being harmed, I'm going to have to figure out I can't just know and not protect. And so what we're talking about here is protection for the kids. It's not necessarily about your own kid. It's about all these kids. And I agree with Rebecca that if you feel that that that's something to consider, I'm not saying that means you need to go burst into the room with your cape on and say, I'm going to single handedly save all these children. But it means that um, that is something to weigh against your kids, your own child's fear that, you know, you're going to turn this into something. You want to do it in a way that it never gets back to them, to the kid, that this is where it originated for that reason, because that is very difficult for kids. And they're calculating a whole different set of things to be worried about than we are. They're worried about reputation and, and fairness and how they're going to fit into their community. And we're worried about a whole other set of things, lawsuits and safety for kids or whatever. Those things don't line up. And so in some ways, you can't get them to line up. But you do want to try to keep it from your kid, like from getting back to your kid. And I think the best way to do that is to have as gently as you can conversations with other parents to see if there is a feeling that a collective feeling that this is an issue. And if there is, then you don't have to be the person taking the burden to, to like carry this load all by yourself. You get to be part of a group of parents who are, who are going to say, Hey, we feel like there needs to be a change here. Yeah. It, it's tough because you can't be sure that nothing's going to get back to the kids, right? If you go, even if you go with a bunch of people, if you go to an administrator and you say, Hey, we've heard about this and it's a real problem. If that administrator is an asshole, they know how to leak the information about whose yeah, mom showed up. That's true. Right? That's true. And they know how to engineer it so that the kid then gets penalized and ostracized. And to you, the adult, it feels like, well, this is this is wrong. These assholes are, are bullying children and that's unfair and wrong and we've got to stand up for what's right and stop this from happening. Um, to your kid, it probably feels like, well, I am getting picked on because I'm weak, because I'm the guy who can't run the 1,600 meters as fast as the kids who are two years older than me, and that is my – that's what I get. That's my lot, and and then if I make a stink out of it or my mom makes a stink about it, then the other kids are just going to pick on me more, and your kid is, is, is looking at self-protection and it's trying to minimize the amount of harm that they experience. Um and so I think it's a little harder to know what to do than than maybe we've suggested. Um, like the consequences of of going to the administration really could be bad for your kid. We all have uh, like every high school has seen that thing where like the mom who gets too involved and the the kid who gets penalized for it. Right. Right. I I still think you should do something about it because that coach is an asshole and and we shouldn't let bullies like that pick on kids. And and I hope your kid doesn't wind up getting hurt worse because of steps that you take. But maybe he will. I wish I had something more optimistic and definitive to say. It is now time for recommendations. Rebecca, what will you recommend? I'd like to recommend an episode that aired recently of the always fun, sometimes truly brilliant sitcom Blackish. A couple of weeks ago, I believe it aired on November 7th or so, uh, there was an episode of Blackish called First and Last. And in that episode, um, the daughters, uh, the daughter in the family gets her first period. Um, and I loved 
everything about the way the show handled this, except for one small aspect of it, which I'm not going to bring up right now. It has to do with the uh, portrayal of PMS, which I think is a total bullshit thing to put on a little kid. But mm-hmm. other than that, uh, the show used the word period. Uh, they showed the angst that parents have about talking about periods with kids. And ultimately, the lesson that came out of it and the reason why it was such a wonderful episode. And I, my 17-year-old stepdaughter was over and we watched it with her. And we, it just really sparked a conversation about how freaking awkward we all were when she got her first period um, is it really does do a great job of sort of parsing through like the awkwardness that families have that siblings have and just talking about periods which is a thing that happens to more than half the population (laughs) so um, it was just really really well done and nice and for the most part and I really recommend watching it especially if you are the parent of a daughter or not the parent of a daughter maybe you are the parent of a son who is going to meet a woman at some point in his life or a girl at some point in his life uh, I really recommend the episode of Blackish once again that is called First and Last and it is available on demand right now Nice I'm going to recommend a toy it's called the Tegu Daredevil it's a set of magnetic blocks from the Tegu magnetic blocks line uh Leo got this as a gift and you know you get a lot of toys and they are very exciting to unwrap and then they are never played with again uh and this one he has been playing with for the past couple of weeks and and he really likes it it's a bunch of magnetic blocks you put it together in the shape of a race car and then you have a cool race car and then you take them apart and you put them together in the shape of a fire truck or in the shape of a hovercraft and there are these pictures in the box that show you how to put it together in all the different combinations and he really loves it and he loves both rearranging it and then also playing with all of these cool little vehicles. Um, So it just turned out to be a really cool, effective toy. Before recommending it on this show, I looked it up online and it turns out it's a little bit more expensive than I thought. So um, this is not a cheap toy. This is a toy that that, um, if you can spend a little bit more money on a toy, uh, check it out. The Tegu Daredevil. Uh, Carvel, what do you recommend? I recommend something that does not cost a lot of money and but does feed my fragile ego. No, I am um, today, <laughs> Wednesday, November, what is this, the 15th, whatever day it is, ha- just so happens to be the day that uh, my new show, Closer Than They Appear, uh, the first episode debuts. And this is a podcast about uh, race in America and about uh, how to deal with America's seeming spiritual confusion and just mess right now in 2017. Uh, the first episode, it's a combination of interviews with some prominent people, some not prominent people. And also I explore my own story and go back to some places I haven't been in 30 years. And my kids are featured on it. So the first episode, the guest is Mahershala Ali and a special guest is Ezra Wallace, who talks about his journeys across the country this summer, what he learned being with my Muslim dad in, in D.C. and then spending two weeks with his white grandparents in Florida. Um, it's I listened to the episode again this morning. I haven't heard it since we f- did the final mix like a few weeks ago. I honestly think it's a really good episode. Like, I really like it. <laughs> and it's a really, <laughs> it's, uh, and it talks about race. I mean, it, I mean, we deal with race in a very direct and also we talk a lot about spirituality and history and what we should do as a country. Just me and Mahershala Ali and Ezra just talking <laughs> about race. So <laughs> if that's it your thing, little, check it out. <laughs> it sounds a little deeper than my show about HGTV. I have to say, I'm a little jealous. <laughs> Um, I can't wait you know, to hear still, it, though. 
I think it's really we're we're still mixing the rest of the episode, so we'll see. I don't I you know I think it's like, but I, the first episode really does hit when I listen to it. I'm like, damn, this is actually pretty good. So I recommend it closer than they appear. Closer than they appear. Where can listeners find that, Carvel? Any place you find your podcast. It's from Jetty Studios. We have a Facebook page at Closer Show. There's a Twitter at Closer Show. Uh, there's an Instagram at Closer Show, and then it's on iTunes. Closer than they appear. Great. And that's our show. If you have a question that you would like the three of us to address, uh, and we will try not to make fun of you too much, you can give us a call at 424-255-7833. Let us know what you thought of our show on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash fighting. This show is produced by Benjamin Frisch. For Carvel Wallace and Rebecca Lavoie, I'm Gabriel Roth, and we'll see you next week. Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.